0: podcast with Chris Papa and Mickey Penzer Um, and I normally am his lovely co-host but today I'm kind of going to take the lead so we're going to try out something new so I hope you guys enjoy Um, and Genghis Cohen is here too but he's going to be quiet Um, and we have our our lovely guest Devin George who um, has a company called Building Blocks that works in the community improvement and housing space and He's got a really interesting story about both profit and impact, and how he got into that space. So I'm really excited to have him here.
1: Hey, Devin. Hi. How are you doing, man? Good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, how did you guys meet? First of all, Mickey and Devin, how did
2: you guys meet? Do you want to answer? Go ahead. Um, we have a mutual friend. Um, well, Dan Hughes. He works with me on um, you know my mission and and with some fundraising stuff and. Just all kinds of business aspects of of the businesses. And they have a mutual friend, uh, Marcia and Adam out of New York. And they saw a connection on both sides of saying, hey, we have this Mickey person you need to talk to because you guys do some similar things. Her background is fairly similar. You guys should get on the phone and talk. We got on the phone and had a chat and she was like, Well, I think you should come on our podcast and you know, let's let's have a chat over a podcast. So that's kind of how we started. That's how we met.
0: Yeah, so Marcia and Adam are real pioneers in the impact investing space and family office space, and they had or, they organized panels on a lot of these topics. So I asked them. They had we, Chris and I really like to showcase people who are doing good both professionally and for the world. So this was a perfect guest. Um, so I guess were you always in real estate, or what's your what's your story?
2: Well, I started off. Um, really taking a, a passion for real estate probably midway into my career. So, like, I played 11 years in the NBA. I would say around year five and six, I really kind of figured out that, you know, once I retired, I'd like to get into real estate. Um, I enjoyed doing it, I enjoyed the process. And then they also have this uh, summer class that we could take at Stanford um, for NBA players only with the top business uh, professors oh, wow. um, at Stanford. It was a private, intimate course where they would bring in all of these different fields of people from Stanford, from the Googles to the garage band guys and um, entrepreneurs and uh, franchising and um, team ownership, all of that to see where you would want to get into. And real estate was one of the ones that kind of that that was I was most passionate about and learning and getting in. So I started kind of, you know, getting into that. And, you know, once I retired, I kind of had a feel that I was ready to just jump right into post-retirement
1: so you're you're our first uh former nba player on this podcast which is pretty cool for us um but, but what did you grow up uh, around people doing real estate or, or or business or how did you kind of what was your
2: upbringing uh well i was i'm from north minneapolis and um everyone knows it's it's one of those underserved communities that um i was able to have some success um and use my upbringing to you know Feel me to try to do better and be better and to help others. And so that's where I'm from. And um, I got into real estate it was just really something that I enjoy doing. You know, as we get into the NBA, people find out their passions and hobbies and things that they like doing. Um, I always enjoyed remodeling my house or buying a home and selling it and moving on to the next one or redoing my kitchen or redoing my bathroom. And I always liked mm-hmm. real estate, that process of building. And so that's the area I really enjoyed the most. Um, once I kind of start doing some internships and looking into, um, you know, working with developers and seeing how their life is and what they do and duties. And I just wanted to jump into it.
0: That class at Stanford sounds really interesting. And it's nice they were kind of preparing you for life after the NBA.
2: Yeah, Um, they were. They really were.
0: um, So you mentioned when we had our call uh, that you had gotten some passion for community work from how you grew up, but also from some work that you did, um, as part of being on, in, on your teams. Can you tell me a little bit more more about that?
2: Yeah. So, you know, basically I got heavily involved in doing a lot of our community engagement, um, mandatory events that each professional team has, you know, when you see on TV, the commercials and the read to achieves and people going to the Ronald McDonald's house, Those are mandated by most of the leagues, the NBA, the NFL, that there's so many, each team has to get into the community and do so many events because these people in the community support our teams. They want to make sure that guys are actively getting out into the community and um, serving back the communities that love us the most. And so I kind of got thrown into the role of doing a lot of that community service event. I was on a star studded team. I didn't have commercials to take after (laughs) practice. And so, I didn't have a family, I didn't have kids at the time. And so they were like, just send Rook or send the young guy. And so I was always doing it. We developed into, you know, certain cities really enjoyed me coming. I enjoyed it. The kids, me coming to read a book for 30 minutes really changed some kids' lives and they thought a Laker came and visit them. So I thought it was pretty cool. And so I got, you know, I just kind of get getting more and more involved in it.
0: So tell us about Building Blocks. What is Building Blocks?
2: So Building Blocks is really my nonprofit I started um, post uh, my, my in post career uh, basketball days is really, um, I was always heavily involved in doing community work. So while I was playing, I sponsored a program called Why Can't I Go? And it was really just what it says Why Can't I Go? You know, there's a lot of kids that are in these areas, underserved communities that never really, really leave their floor block radius. I mean, in Minnesota, we have uh, the Model of America, which people come from all over the world to see. Mm-hmm to see this Mall of America, there are kids that are living one bus ride away that have never even stepped a foot in Mall of America, that really don't even know what location or direction it is in. So that just kind of gives you an example of how kids are just stuck in a box, and that's all they know is their community, their school, and those four-block radius. So Why Can't I Go was created really to get kids out of their environment that are really excelling, doing good, they do community service work, they're staying out of trouble. And so it was, why can't I just take a trip? So I would fly Um, two groups out twice a year of 10 plus a few chaperones to come and see a a Laker game, meet some of the players, go to Disneyland, um, get them hotel accommodations, and just give them something else to look forward to other than those floor blocks. And so just things like that just kept boiling, you know, kind of building up. I was always talking to Friends that I played college basketball with, they got involved in. They were principals, or they were teachers, or social workers, or they were coaches. So I'm always going in, developing relationships with young people, and teaching and talking to them. And really, that's when it kind of hit me of what I need to kind of really get into. I was always in real estate; I did luxury apartments, but now at the time I had owned this these plots of land in my in my community, and that's when I said I want to get into affordable housing because the the message I was preaching to the kids. Of getting education and eating vegetables and broccoli, Mm -hmm. no one's really listening and paying (laughs) attention because all those kids are in survival mode. You know what I mean? So if you're in survival mode, you're trying to figure out where you're going to live or what you're going to eat. Somebody coming in and talk to you about going to school, that's probably secondary. That's not even on their mind. Who cares about getting good grades or going to school? I don't know where I'm going to live tomorrow or tonight and eat vegetables. Well, I'm going to eat whatever I can get. I'm not I don't have a choice of whether I'm going to eat some green vegetables tonight or not. So that's when I said, let me get the nonprofit started, start housing families and combine the commercial space with the living so that I can have at least some kids and families out of survival mode. So the the story and the, what I'm preaching, they can at least have an open ear to lend to to that's, hear.
0: Yeah, well. One thing uh, Devin and I discussed is like on the Maslow hierarchy of needs, you can only get to the higher ones once the base ones are fulfilled mm-hmm. and housing and food are obviously the two at the bottom. Um, and they call most of these places food deserts mm-hmm. because there's no healthy food around. Um,
1: yeah. And My 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 best buddy just moved from uh, Venice in, in LA, right? He just moved to Englewood. And so it was a big difference as far as like the uh, – the food situation he's like yeah it's a like a food desert out here it's like he's never experienced that before but it's just yeah there's only fast food restaurants like within all the couple blocks of his where he's living um so so how do you i mean that's that's awesome i mean it's amazing how how does so you have a plot of land how do you if i had a plot of land how would i get something built on there that's affordable like housing it sounds like a lot of work and a lot of people you got to know and talk to and like <laughs> it,
2: it it is it really is it's it's it's, it takes a little bit more work on the deal structure on how to get it together because it's not as simple as just building something, charging rent and then paying your mortgage. Yeah. It's um, caps of rate that you, you can't rent, you know, you got to rent to a certain amount. So you create these huge gap. because what most people don't understand is it doesn't matter for the most part, other than like stainless steel and flooring and hardwood flooring and units, the steel, the concrete windows, that's, It doesn't cost, it doesn't matter if it's in Beverly Hills or if it's in in, in Watts or South Central. You're going to pay for concrete, what concrete is. We're going to pay for steel, what steel is. So, yeah, you can do, you know, get a little cute inside the units with stainless steel and stuff like that. But for the most part, structure and building, contract. you know, building new uh, construction is expensive. So when you want to build clean, affordable housing in certain areas where you can't command the rent, you're going to have a huge gap. And that's where all the work really comes in. Is you got to do fundraising, you got to get the city, and state, and county, everyone kind of tied in and investing in and creating partnerships. And so that's what I've been able to do is kind of bring you know f- local uh, foundations, uh, myself, the nonprofit, the city, county, and state. Everybody has to kind of come together and chip in on this because it's it's a it's a it's a group effort to make it go. There's no way we can build a twenty million dollar building in the middle of an underserved community charge enough rent to pay the mortgage so there's got to be a lot of people that buy in and that's just what it is and that's what i always am studying is one you know how can i make sure i can highlight the city doing this is beneficial for you we're going to crack down on crime we're going to clean up vacant corners we're going to put these buildings on tax roll how is it good for the developer how's it good for in you know the neighborhood and community and then how is it good for you know the overall everyone that's involved
0: and um you've talked about some of the things that make it more difficult, uh, but what are some of the advantages of it in for investors for choosing this type of investment product?
2: Uh they're safe. They're a lot safer than a lot of the uh other investment vehicles. And um a lot of people are uncomfortable because it's not something that they've usually used in their wheelhouse. You know, people are used to doing a certain way things a certain way. And a new form of investment or a new terminology of things really gets people scared away, um, that they really are uncomfortable with it. When the reality is it could be a very, very good, uh, safe investment. And that's what it is. I invest in my community. I have my business in the community and that is a business that is fairly safe for me. And I, I can compare it against any other, other businesses.
1: Are you, uh, you mainly invest in Minnesota, Minneapolis?
2: no. I actually have this model that I've started and that was the, that's where it started. And so the best thing, you know, that, um, that we're able to do is bring people in. They can kind of see how it goes and they can see the building itself with their own eyes. They can see the program. And then immediately they want that same building in their state. So we're in North Carolina, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, um, uh, Augusta, Georgia, and then have another one going up in Brooklyn Park Minnesota so it's we have uh, about five or six in the pipeline ready to go to excuse me to take this model there
1: so when you go into like Augusta Georgia like you land on the ground and then do you have to like what do you do next you're like all right i got to find every you got to go meet everybody and like are you just going around to all the all the municipalities and all the people shaking hands and-
2: that yeah and, and use and there's a there's a connection with all of these um, places where I know somebody that's there like, hey, man, I need to get one of these in my neighborhood. This needs to be here in New Orleans. And then I you know that at that point, I say, come down, check it out, see what it is. And then when they come down, they want it. And then from that point, I say, hey, here's the connections and here's some of the people we need. We need who know who's your councilman, who's your people, who's in the ward. And that's when we kind of pitch the idea of like, hey, we're coming here. I'm a newcomer, but I'm partnering with X, Y and Z or whoever is from here we're partnering. We want to do this project here. You know, what would be, um, would there be any objections or anything to, to doing something like this? So the local you know, brand that's there um, helps. And then also the track record and the ability of me working with the funds that we'll be requesting or the partnerships that we're looking for in each of those cities, they'll see if I've established that in other areas and that I kind of know the formula of, you know, what's going on, what to do with the dollars, um, Because it really is something that they really like to see the experience of, hey, have you dealt the did these type of deals before? Um, what's your experience with dealing with these type of dollars and how do you and if you know how to put the deal together? And so that's kind of, you know, the process when we go into new areas of getting in there. And then from that point, um, we identify areas that we would like to put a project in. You know, we listen to the community. We see where there's opportunities. We see where there's vacant parcels of land or beat up buildings that need to come down to enhance the community. And then from that point, I do a fit plan, have the architectural tell me, hey, this is how many, this is how big of a building you can get here based on the rules. This is how high you can go. Here's about how many units you can get in. And then we kind of back in from there.
1: Is there any certain thing you're looking for in a in a place besides a just like an opportunity to like a place to build it. Is there any certain thing, characteristics of the community you're looking for?
2: Um, It's really, the first thing is we want to really make sure that who we're, see who we're serving. I want to see where the income level, um, what the, what the problem is, what the issue is in the community. And a lot of the same thing, a lot of the issues that are in one community, there's no different than New Orleans or Augusta, Georgia. It's pretty much the same. We'll tweak what's needed there. There may not be a need for a grocery store because there's one there's or one or two within green. So we will take that out of the equation. But for the most part, you need the housing, you need the social services, because a lot of times people think that it's the only thing is, oh, we just got to build these a bunch of these buildings and the problem's over. No, it's the services that come around with it. And that's really what I call a secret sauce. And that's how Mickey and I were both talking about, hey, you have to have those services in there to support the people that are in there because just getting them into a home is that that's half the battle, but it's much more to have some services out there they can rely on and, and support them.
0: Yeah, I mean, we call it holistic community development, uh, me and my partner, um, because you have to pre- it's sort of the eat, live, work model that they're doing for luxury it has to be done also for low income. They need jobs, they need low nearby, they need food, they need school, daycare, because a lot of single moms. Um, there's a huge single mom problem in most low income communities. So they need someone where to send their children. Um, financial literacy classes. I'm mean,
2: interject on that, but I would say that's probably one of the biggest things is that's why we really wanted the after school program. So that's the base of really the model is the after school program because there's mothers that are working, they're single. There's And then there's a danger zone from that 3.30 to 8 where kids are kind of home alone or they're parenting themselves and their sisters and brothers or whatever it is. So capturing them, keeping them busy during that time is really big. And then once we get them in there, like we, we really can make them feel like they can do anything, keep them on the right path. But the other part that I take it further is I need to try to partner with as many social services as I can because we send the kids back home. And then it kind of gets torn down what we built up today. So we want to make sure that they have that support when they go home so that what we build up today isn't torn down. We got to start back all over tomorrow. The kid doesn't believe that they can do anything. Nope. We're going to start back over. You can be that lawyer that you're talking about. You can be that developer that you're talking about. And so when you go home, you know, sometimes because the mom or the situation of the dad or they missed the boat. don't believe their kids have a chance but no the kids have a chance so that's one of the things too
1: do you ever do work i mean one of the i live in i actually live near not that far from stanford so i mean there's a huge it's a very pretty affluent community here as you as you know and like um there's a real need for affordable housing because they're i mean they're everything's super expensive but not everyone makes a lot of money Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so like one of the things everyone calls for is like, oh, we need more affordable housing, more affordable housing here. Like, of course we need that, right? But it's like, how do you do that without, like Joe Schmo developer, you know, in Palo Alto is required to put, like, I think, a couple of units, affordable units in every building they have there. But if they put more than that, they're not going to make any money off it, right? So they're not going to build. So you got to make it, you got to make it, I, I don't know, there's some sort of way where people can, developers can develop still make money and also put affordable housing in there
2: right? I yeah yes I, I I believe that and it's just for me from looking on the outside and from doing both market rate and affordable housing it's really the difference is how you structure it and two the profits are really they 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 say the same thing to me and I think the majority of it is just the control once you do an affordable housing, there's a lot of other partners, silent partners that you have to you have compliance. There's tax credits mm-hmm. that give you millions of dollars where you have to keep your rents. There's city that chip in millions of dollars that say you have to keep your rents here. We have a segment of people that work that make this much money where they have nowhere to live. We'll give you money if you rent to these people that were having a problem in this income that work every day. And so that's just basically it. It's just the control that you don't have. You can't. There's so many regulations, but it's OK if that's, you know, it's just you have to look at it in, in, you know, a different way. But it's it's I think affordable housing is profits is more front loaded and back loaded. And I think market rate is kind of a steady, slowly, gradual income. So I don't know.
1: Why do you think there's why don't you think more people do affordable housing? I mean, I I I think there's obviously a need, a huge need for it. We work with a lot of our clients, our affordable housing developers and investors. so I'm I like it a lot. I I've never invested in, I've never done it myself. Mm-hmm. Um but why do you, you think there's more people doing it? Um
2: the numbers haven't the numbers don't look very good on paper because of how the deals are usually underwritten. Um, they are more profitable than usually how they look on paper because there's a certain way, and there's a certain the, the cities want to be ultra conservative when they write the deal. They don't want to chip in millions of dollars, allocate millions of tax credit dollars for someone that has a cash cow that's making you know, <laughs> you know, twenty thousand in cash flow every month. That's not what they're chipping in dollars for. So the 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 it's underwritten. It looks like man, there's very little cash flow. But that's just how it's underwritten. So the numbers don't look great off the boat. But um, I think it's it's just that number that and it hasn't had the right person that's been able to articulate the difference of affordable and market rate. I believe if the right people saw the difference and I can see the difference because I've been in both of them. I've seen my risk when I put my money up in a market rate. I've seen what that risk is of if the people don't pay <laughs> then I'm in trouble. I've seen the market rate where I have millions of dollars still stuck in the building until we refinance or until I sell it off. And then I have the affordable housing where I don't have any money in the building. I'm collecting the developer fee and a small cash flow. So it just matters what you want to do. You want to have your money tied up in there, getting a nice big check, but you still got money tied up in the market rate, the affordable, I think, yeah. you know, so. I, I think
0: that's what people don't realize. So because we've been in such a bull market, people loved luxury because it was like, oh, money now, money now, money now. But then mm-hmm. once COVID happened, I think people got kind of a reality check. And like a lot of the old school developers were waiting for this reality check. They were like, oh yeah, these young, Guys are just pouring money and over-levering and they're gonna get hit. Uh, but affordable, as we know, like afford our affordable clients were busier than ever um, on recruiting side, and our luxury clients were like, eek. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be honest. I, I the last three months, I'm at ninety eight percent rent collection. I haven't missed a beat. No one's missed any payment. I think maybe had one person that needed a payment plan, and one person that was late but that person has been late all you know like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't covid it wasn't covid related, related. so right. um, you know i've been sleeping really good at night as far as getting the mortgage paid you know because the who who my partner is really you know i've, I've used tax credits and city dollars and so um i don't know
0: What's um, some of the best advice that you give these kids when you go to speak to them from the low-income communities about how they could have a better future and what they need to do to, to get there?
2: Well, that's a good question. Is One is relate with them and let them know, I was sitting right there where you are. Letting them know, you remind me of me. The kids really love when you kind of put yourself in their shoes and they understand that you've seen what I've seen. You've had the same obstacles that I have. You've had you've heard the same gunshots and shootings that you've had, you know. And so I always let them know that, you know, I was there, that there is a way there is a better way in encouraging them. And one of the biggest things that I really want to preach to them is when I, I like to bring in a lots of different professionals of people that run nonprofits, people that are in business, doctors, lawyers people that own barbershops and let them know this is success in my eyes and that it's not just if you play basketball or if you're seen on TV or if you rap. So kind of getting them and conditioning them that this is what success looks like. Show them the architect that does all our buildings that's minority owned, a a black architect that can do this. He built these buildings. So just getting them to see those things and getting them and signing off on this also, is success. It's not just if you go to the NBA. This is successful, too. So that's one of the main things that I get to them. And, and also exposure. There's you have to bring in different things because we don't have exposure to there's people don't understand. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on that kids could be left behind like they didn't know. OK, once they see I like the lawyer, I want to be a lawyer, a doctor. What's the process? What's the steps? What do you have to do? Well, you got to go to school for here and you got to do this four more school years here and you got to do your residency. So that's one of the things, that's the main thing that I really want to point out to them is success looks so many different ways. and Let's not just keep our success tied into what I did.
1: Yeah, you really only know like what you're, when you're a kid, what's outside your front door, or, like what your parents are doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, where do you, uh, see building blocks doing over the next couple of years, getting into more communities or are you doing different things or?
2: Yeah, that's what we've been working on is, is really just scaling up. Now that we kind of have a, a good game plan on what goes in, what we need to do um, and just kind of seeing how it works is really just scaling up and try to put this in as many communities as possible, because this is not just a North Minneapolis thing. This is an underserved community model that could go in that we could easily tweak what needs to happen, what the, you know, because there are some resources that certain communities have may, may have more grocery stores or they may have better transportation or whatever the case may be. And we would just tweak that around, but the meat and potatoes of the building blocks model can go anywhere. You need affordable housing. We need the school programming and we need partnerships with social services to help the families that are in the building.
0: What's your best advice to somebody who wants to sort of help more low-income communities and it works in real estate, how they can help?
2: And how can they help you specifically too? Uh, there's a couple things that would help me. Um, first is uh, help me get the language that transform my investment percentages or IRR and all of that to the normal market rate language. Because I think, I don't think my language is speaking to them when I'm talking about investing because it's an investment in affordable housing and it's, you could I I want people to know you can make a profit and it's an investment in affordable housing. It's not a donation. They are in, it's an investment vehicle. So I just don't have that, terminology that most people are looking for that translates from affordable to, Hey, you get a 35% ROI and I don't have that capability, but I could tell you, Hey, here's, if someone's put a million bucks in the property, here's the date. They would get their million bucks back. Here's the percentage I could give them on their million bucks. Here's the boost that they would get for being investing in here. And here's the cash flow that they would get. Add all that up. What is that number? Because I think that's what I'm not doing correct, is speaking that language. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people, average Joe thinks of affordable housing. Oh yeah, I'm just doing like I'm giving money away. But it's really like people just it actually it, it could be a selfish thing too, in a way, like you're getting money back. It's your investment, like you're making money on this, right? Yeah,
0: we could definitely talk about that yeah. on our next chat a little bit.
2: And that's the part that I love about what I'm doing is I'm a developer. I chose to develop in my neighborhoods and underserved communities. I'm building up the community um, and making a living from it. And it's not from the community. It's from the corporations that buy our tax credits that's allocated. So it's from the big corporations that when I allocate the tax credits, the developer fee is in that. And so it's not necessarily, but it's it's a win-win. I got a great business helping people in a neighborhood that is needed most. So I love it.
1: It's awesome, man. That's a great way to jump into, you want to bring them to the next round there, Mick, next stage of this. Uh,
0: yeah. So our last part of the podcast is called the hot seat.
1: The hot seat is sponsored by KK reset. KK reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an H- HR perspective for your for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T dot com.
0: First question is, do you have any books that you would recommend for our listeners?
2: I'm a... Uh... I'm a I'm a self help book guy, but yeah. I'm an old school thinker. <laughs> so I I don't know it, it's by Maxwell Maltz. So it's called Psycho Cybernetics. It's one of my favorite books. And I oh really I don't know that yeah, what's that one about? It's just it's really about training your thinking. So I'm a positive thinker. I think good. I don't let bad situations come in and overtake and take my mind. And oh the world is ending this and that. I try to look at the and everything and create those positive habits and positive thoughts in my mind. And it's really about controlling your mind, getting your uh, goals and destinations in your mind, seeing it first. And in your body is a, a success uh, mechanism that will just like navigation. You get a roadblock, it'll take you to the left, to the right. It's going to try to get to where you want to go. And it just does exercises. It talks about all the old greats that would take naps when they got brain free, you know, cramps and they had their inventions. It talked about, they did a study of how positive thinking and could help. They took 10, 20 people that never played basketball before and they had 10 practice, physical free throws and they had 10 mentally practice, you know, free throws and the mentally ones that saw it going in and making themselves did better than the ones that actually did the practice. So it's oh, just type of things like that, that, yeah. you know, so I, I that's the type of guy I am. But
1: do you write out, I do, I just did a, a 90 day kind of goal challenge thing. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of into that stuff too. Do you do, you do any of that kind of Absolutely. stuff? Absolutely.
2: I got to write it down and see it. You know, it just becomes real to me. And I used to do it on my planes is, you know, I used to travel a lot. Obviously I haven't traveled in the last three or four months, but um, on planes, it was always kind of like my quiet time. There was no emails. There was no phone calls or anything I could ever, you know, just sit back and relax and kind of think. And I would always kind of do a little journaling goals and put it down on paper. It was just relaxing to me. I don't know if it was like the air of the airport and the, you know, yeah. the noise and just kind of, you know, kind of the quietness. And so that was kind of a place, but I, I'm a big person of writing stuff down and seeing it.
1: What about um, do you have any podcast recommendations that you listen to?
2: I'm new to the
1: podcast.
2: I'm like get you're lucky but you're on the best one I, that's amazing. So I'm new so that's why I apologize I you know we had a little trouble getting on and getting started but um I just recently um started getting into trying to you know jump on the podcast and you know hitting my phone and scrolling through and trying to look at some things and so um I'm new.
1: All right, well I'll only answer that one. How about since we're in COVID times how about TV shows you've been watching?
2: I need some new TV shows. Oh man, I've been watching all kinds of Criminal Minds I just finished up uh
0: oh, That one's good.
2: Um how to get away with murder I just finished that one up last night. Um those are the shows I kind of like those little um those type of murder shows. I Criminal gotta-
0: Minds yeah. will really like screw with you. I uh,
2: I like Scandal and uh you know I like all those shows. <laughs> so NCIS I watched that one so those are CSI was my old one. So I like those type of <laughs> Those
0: Which city things. of the CSI?
2: I, is- I, I used to faithfully love Vegas and then Miami. And then uh, I kind of fell off in that. But those, <laughs> are, those are my interests when I'm scrolling through Netflix. In documentaries, I like learning and hearing people's side of view of certain things. Um, A documentaries. Cool.
1: Uh,
0: so our next question is, what are some things you like to do outside of work?
2: Outside of work? Outside. I am, I like traveling. Um, I like bowling. We're a family of bowlers. Um, and, uh, I like, you know, really doing things, um, with friends, uh, outdoor barbecues and stuff like that. I'm more of a intimate private guy, but those are things I like doing. Did you ever bowl a 300 before? I have not. I have not. Um, (laughs) Dad and brother have before. Oh yeah, yeah, they, yeah we got oh, wow. a family of bowlers.
1: Well, maybe our next ninety day challenge, you and I will both write down. down. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to your twenty year old self? Ooh,
2: um, I would say uh, I would have started early. I wish I would have started earlier um, of really getting going, internships, you know, taking things serious. Um, I see there was a wake up call. So my first contract was three years. um, Second contract was four years. But then going into my eighth year, I sat on the market for like, you know, two months. The other contracts, I got drafted. The second contract, they signed me at 1201. Soon as 1201 hit, they were ready to sign yeah. me. But then I sat on the market on that la- the next contract. <laughs> that kind of <laughs> wakes <laughs> you up like, ooh, this is real. <laughs> like, I, be, I don't have a job you know, coming up. And so um, that's when I really started saying, okay, that's when I took the Stanford class. It was a, it was a summer course, um, a private course with George Foster. I don't know. He's a, he's a business professor there um, at Stanford. Really good. And I know a lot of the chaperones that were helping us, the kids that go to school there, they were like, Hey, no one can get in his class. You guys should be lucky. This guy is teaching you this. And so um, that was good, but um, I started early. I would have started much earlier, Um, but you know, when you're 20, you get drafted and you're in the NBA and you got a contract. Oh, life is good. It goes on forever. And then you get drafted again, you know, you kind of relax a little bit. Um, And so.
1: I was never drafted and I had that same attitude. I wish I started
2: earlier. (laughs)
0: Uh, I was going to psych tours as an infant, so. (laughs) A little bit different. Um, But I was never drafted for any any sports of any kind. I'm a big tennis player, but um, to my father's disappointment, I did not play in college. (laughs) So I took a look at the schedule, and I was was going to NYU, so it was D3, nothing crazy. Mm -hmm. And I took a look at the schedule, and I was like, I will not be able to go out at all if I do this and I want to get my socializing out while mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started going to like a lot of charity and networking events then, like I would go out, go to a charity event and then go clubbing after. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started building my network then. So it was probably good. I didn't do the test, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now I took tennis back up like the last five years.
2: Okay. It. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, but I will never go pro. And <laughs> my dad thought he would be going to the US Open.
1: <laughs> uh, Wanna wrap it up? Last question? Yes, yeah,
0: so the last question is our favorite question because obviously Chris and I are recruiters and it's our job to get companies the talent they want. What do you look for when you hire people?
2: I look for um, loyalty and trust. Um, it, uh, I need loyalty and trust because this is what I do is not necessarily office. We're all in an office hovering over each other. There's game plans. Hey, you got to attend this meeting. You got to take care of the rents. I got to go, you know, try to get some projects going. There's certain meetings I need to go to that I can't be in three different places at one time. So you have to have that team mentality and trust of like, they're going to handle it, you know, let it go. And I think How do you get for that? um i vet for it one by you know some of the questions i ask you know some of the things that i know people that i've known that have hired them or they work from or whatnot or i like to take people from trees that work with me that know how i am um the young lady that runs a lot of the stuff for me that has worked with people at other places and i'm like you know first of all how do you feel oh no mr george she's 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 good and then slowly they show me more than, uh, than than you can tell me because I like to see it first. And so that I kind of go based on that. Once they get in, how do they go start, you know, coming on in? And I always, um, with the pay, I always see if they want to negotiate higher. When someone wants to negotiate higher, I think they tell me, hey, I'm worth more. I bring a lot to the table. And then it also allows me too to say, okay, I can count on you. I, I'm going to I'm gonna demand more because we all demand more for each other. So when you come in, I want to see how that, you know, see how you react to those things. Those are things I look for.
1: Well, that's great. Thank you. I mean, it's been great getting to know you. Um, you have an amazing mission. I mean, building blocks seems awesome. I hope, uh, I would love to get involved personally. So yeah.
0: um, Hopefully I can I come me, see it one
1: day. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see it. If you ever make it out to the Bay Area or New York, please give us a call. Okay.
2: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.